4: Well, it's rare on a Monday that we would mention anything other than the NFL or college football when it is football season, but it is also fair to say that that was an unbelievably epic seven-game series between the Braves and the Dodgers with the Dodgers storming back to win three straight to close out the series and come back from a uh, deficit in game 7 as well. The Mookie Betts catch, the Bellinger home run to uh, to win it. Dodger fans have to be ecstatic. Brave fans have to be in the dumps over the way that this went down. Now, I think if you had told Braves fans before the season started that you would win two postseason series and have an opportunity to be in a Game 7 in the NLCS with the chance to go to the World Series, given the fact that it had been so long since the Braves won a postseason series, they would have taken it. But when you go up 3-1 in a series like the Braves did, and then you have three straight opportunities to close out the series and you can't manage to do it, that is going to linger and sting for a very long time, especially for Atlanta area sports fans. Now, last night, as soon as the game ended, I put up a question, and I'm sorry, Atlanta area sports fans. What's worse, the Falcons blowing a 28-3 to Super Bowl lead or the Braves blowing a 3-1 to NLCS lead? I'm sorry to have to bring it back up, The vast majority of people said 28-3 in the Super Bowl. But, you know, a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl is one game. And you're playing against the greatest dynasty ever in Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots. So, I understand the majority of you saying 28-3. But when you're up 3-1, you get three opportunities to close the door here. And not only were you up 3-1, and I hate to have to relive this with Braves fans, but you're up 3-1 in the series, and you're up 2-0 in Game 5, and you've got what you think might be a sacrifice fly to right field. Mookie Betts came in and made an incredible catch. And you can argue that's when everything changed, and this was before the other two incredible catches that Mookie Betts made. What were the Red Sox thinking, by the way, in dealing Mookie Betts? But he makes that shoestring catch and then he just absolutely guns it home, but Ozuna left early and they actually took that run off the board for the Braves. So the Braves would have been up 3-0 in the fifth uh, the fifth game with a 3-1 series lead. Instead, they double up Ozuna to end the inning and they had a runner on second now there were so many incredible plays in game seven but I think if you're a Braves fan the one that you're sitting back around on and like how in the world did this happen was when you lost Uh, you had runners at second and third nobody out Marquecas hits a ground ball to short and by the way Nick Marcakis, I feel like every time he came up to bat, the bases were loaded or there were runners in scoring position, and he did nothing for the entire NLCS. I think Nick Marcakis left 743 runners on base in the NLCS. He even had to shave his beard, I think, to try to change his mojo. But he hits a ground ball to short, and they catch uh, the runner coming home, and then the runner gets in a rundown, and Austin Riley manages to somehow get doubled off trying to advance to third as well. And that felt like a huge play. Freddie Freeman has a home run taken away by Mookie Betts and what I believe will be an incredibly iconic play. And then Cody Bellinger hits a huge home run in the postseason uh, to win effectively Game 7. And then it looked like he hurt his shoulder, or at least he was exaggerating like he hurt his shoulder, in his celebration, if you had shoulder issues, maybe I wouldn't go with a shoulder-involved celebration. Just an idea from me. But one of the cockiest bat flips you will ever see on that crushed home run, and the Dodgers are now a pretty massive favorite to win the World Series over the Rays, their first World Series since 88. The Braves haven't been to the World Series since the 90s. I don't know what you think if you are the Braves and you're a Braves fan and you're waking up this morning. I will say this. My son, my 10-year-old huge Braves fan, I told him he could stay up and watch Game 7, and he fell asleep with the game on. So he doesn't know yet how the game ended. When he fell asleep, it was tied... Actually, sorry, the Braves were up 3-2, and he fell asleep. So I actually, don't, I actually feel sorry for him having to wake up. Uh, it was a late night for a lot of people out there. And I actually feel sorry for when he wakes up, he's going to have to find out that the Braves actually lost their lead in Game 7 and aren't going to get to go to the World Series. Maybe you can say that's what you have to deal with To be a Braves fan, oh man, just what a gut punch. Danny G, by the way, is on vacation, so the Dodger fans can't even exult. Um, And I just, I mean, just an absolute uh, gut punch if you are a Braves fan. And I actually think, I understand 28-3 is kind of legendary because it's the Super Bowl. But I feel like giving up a 3-1 lead to go to go back to the World Series for the first time in a generation basically 25 years or whatever the heck it is, 22 years. That's a pretty big deal too. So I know the Braves are young and I know they have a lot of good young talent, but the Dodgers are really good, probably looking good for a long time. And by the way, how about Clayton Kershaw? He gets to go to the World Series now. I don't don't even remember seeing him on television basically after he lost game four and it seemed like the Dodgers were done for. I haven't even seen him out there on television anywhere for the past several games, and now he gets a chance at redemption in the World Series. And he might well, I would think, depending on how things will set, I would think he'll probably be the game one pitcher, wouldn't he? Wouldn't the expectation be? Now, they're playing on Tuesday night, so I would think there's probably a good chance that on the rotation – he would be right back up and would be the game one starter. So he will get an opportunity at redemption pretty quickly if they could, uh, if the Dodgers could go on and win this World Series when it seemed highly unlikely after he lost game four and the Braves took a commanding 3-1 lead in this series. All right, we got a lot to get into. So that's my take on uh, game seven of the NLCS with the Braves. Uh, managing to lose a 3-1 series lead and with the Dodgers managing to come back, however you want to look at that, uh, the Dodgers found a way to get get, get the win in Game 7. we got a ton of storylines here. Just so you know, Joel Klatt is going to join us in the second hour of the program. Coming up here in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Sean Merriman in the first hour. He's one of our NFL insiders. We'll be breaking down all the NFL with him. Uh, But the other big news, I would say in general, coming out of what was a big football weekend, how about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers absolutely dominating against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers in an epic beatdown that had Aaron Rodgers looking downright human, throwing two interceptions, completing less than half of his passes. They couldn't run the ball. The Bucks' defense came to play. Brady, I told you, this is one of my favorite bets that I've seen in a very long time. Brady only needed to throw for 166. He didn't need to do a lot because the defense took complete control. But Gronk showed up and was the leading receiver. And so we had a Gronk-Brady reunion. Huge win for the Bucks Puts them into first place in the NFC South. And puts them still in the running in a big way to make the NFL playoffs. That was an incredible game to, uh, to, to to watch, to see Brady bounce back. I actually was in the stands for an unbelievable game. That is, if you're a Titans fan, the Titans came surging back and found a way to get the win over the Texans and did something that has never occurred in the history of the NFL, and that is for uh, a team to have a 350-plus-yard passer Ryan Tannehill went for 364, and a 200-plus yard rusher. Derrick Henry went for 212 in the same game. Uh, all of that, absolutely incredible. The Titans went for 601 yards of total offense, which is the most yardage for that team in the history of the franchise. By the way, the Bucks also, in addition to the way that they won 38-10, and we're going to be breaking down a lot of these games, zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero sacks. That my friends is a pretty good sign that things might be going well. As if that were not enough, for Brady to be excited about how the Bucks won, the Patriots are at below 500 through 5 games for the first time since 2001 when Brady led the team to its first of six Super Bowl titles and New England snapped a streak of 18 consecutive seasons above 500. Through five games, which was the longest streak in NFL history. And Cam Newton looked very pedestrian. Why, you might be thinking, does does that matter in the grand scheme of things? Well, certainly with the Bills playing tonight uh, against the Chiefs, the Bills have to feel pretty good. Sorry, Bills Mafia. Don't want to get you too excited about the opportunity to win this division. But also, Cam Newton just looking okay. You can't lose in that scenario against the Broncos and feel like you should be favored to be a playoff team. So a pretty huge win for the Denver Broncos, but a really, really bad loss for the New England Patriots. And then also, how about when you look at the uh, the landscape of the NFL games that took place yesterday, how about the Steelers? Just coming out, getting to 5-0, and delivering a beatdown for the Browns. The Browns never had hope at all that they were ever going to win that football game. Just an utter, unmitigated beatdown from the Steelers of the Browns. And as a result, we have got an incredible game scheduled for Sunday here in Nashville, where I live, the Steelers going on the road against the Titans, two and 5-0 teams. Guys, there's only three undefeated teams left in all of football right now. The Steelers and the Titans, one of those teams will be 6-0. and Everybody else will have lost. One AFC unbeaten will still remain after that next game. And the only other unbeaten team at this point are the Seahawks. And the Seahawks are set up for, you know, they had their, uh, their bye this week. And they are set up now to go on the road against the Cardinals. And then they get the 49ers. And then they get the Bills and the Rams. So, I mean, we got four pretty tough games coming up for them right there, right there as well. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. is the loathsome at joel clatt uh joel i understand that uh, some of our <laughs> outkick fans have been telling telling you that they love you on the show first of all uh they should uh first uh, say i know that you are the loathsome joel clatt but i appreciate you going on with uh with clay travis on outkick but does it does it is it a bittersweet moment when they say that they enjoy hearing you but then you find out that they enjoy hearing you on my show
5: Yes, I immediately list off other places where they can find any of my work, just so that it's
0: not
7: here.
5: <laughs> We're uh, talking
4: with uh, with Joel Klatt. Uh, all right, so we talked all off season, uh, and we've talked about this some on the show about the importance of college football being played. You fought hard for it, try to make it happen, and when you see and uh, and and now are going to get to call the Nebraska Ohio State game. And we're not that far from the Pac-12 coming back either. But do people even realize how much of a battle it was to get the Big Ten back, where now the entire conference is going to be able to play this weekend?
5: I, I don't think people realize what low probability this this all was, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, and I think that's kind of what your your point is. I, you know, let's just let's just put it this way. You know, when we started getting into the the July and early August, in particular, to like middle of July, I thought it was about a ninety nine point five percent chance that we were not going to have the Big Ten or the Pac twelve. I thought that there was a a, a decent chance, maybe ten percent chance, we would get. Uh, and this was at like the, my lowest point, right? Because you and I talked at this point too, and I was like, I. I don't know, man. It, it does not look good. In particular, once you started getting uh, some of those um, news reports of the Big Ten, so I don't think people appreciate exactly um, the, the what we're about to see. How 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 rare, I guess you could say that, that it is. But you know, I'm I'm happy for these kids that they're going to get a chance to compete. And I think what 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 strikes me now every time I do a game is that Clay. What what we've lost, and again, you know, I mean, the bros are out there in force. Every time one person tests positive, or if it's Saban, you know, they're all out there. Or a high a pro, high profile game gets gets postponed, and they're out there basically standing on a soapbox saying, "I told you so." And and I always want to say, like, well, what about the other ninety percent of the games that are going on? What about every one of these players that have opted into the season, right? Like. Th- no penalty. They don't have to be there. And and how about the zero players or coaches in college football that have been hospitalized? How about any of that? Like, does anyone want to do an article on that? Anybody at all. The fact that we're going to have Big Ten football, are there going to be challenges? Absolutely. Does anyone want to – like, when is that going to be celebrated and championed uh, about these kids and what they're doing, what they're um, out there and fighting for, in particular a guy like Justin Fields, who I think was, was influential and critical in getting the Big Ten to revisit their decision and to potentially play. Um, I don't know. I mean, so, yeah, you hit a little bit of a, a – Buzz topic with me because it is frustrating to see how the sport is covered, and in particular with guys that will go right back to just like writing about college football as if they're covering it normally, and then they'll throw just a a haymaker article out there about how we shouldn't be doing it. It's just wild.
4: Thank you for like I have been obviously I, I I was fired up about the Nick Saban reaction because. You know, the SEC now, let's use the SEC as an example. The SEC has had 28 games scheduled in the first four weeks of their season, and they have played 26. If you were objectively talking with someone back in August and you had said, hey, the SEC is going to try to play an all-conference schedule, first four weeks of the season they're going to schedule 28 games, I think they're going to be able to play 26 Everybody would have been like, man, that's pretty remarkable. That's
5: pretty incredible. Good for them. But also, yet, Clay, but yeah. also go a step further, right? Go, like go a step further in terms of like, listen, there will, you know, tell them like, yeah, there there are going to be positives throughout. There are going to be high profile, high profile positives, excuse me. But nobody is, is hospitalized, and no one's even had severe symptoms. Right. Like, that's a, that's the other part, right? Like, that's the underlying – we all just want to talk about postponements and positive tests and this and that as if that's the bar.
4: Right. Like, I agree. I mean, the, yeah, the, the entire so, process of a positive test being a big story is, to me, a flaw of the way we talk about sports in a COVID era because, thankfully – the number of athletes or coaches that have had significant issues from a COVID positive test is right now zero, right? I mean, that's not like me and
5: we should all celebrate that.
4: That's right. It's not me trying to be hyperbolic, like literally for people who are playing college football or the NFL this fall or coaching it, we haven't had a single issue with somebody testing positive and having a severe health-related issue associated with it, and so and, and when- let's,
5: let's all hope that that continues. Right. Obviously, obviously, but but here's the ex- next point. This is not used as a point to win an argument. This is not used as a point to win favor. This is used as a point to hopefully shape our narrative moving forward. This is what drives me so nuts, Clay. Is that what data should do? in all walks of life, is shape the narrative moving forward, shape the policy moving forward. So the fact that we've had positives and and postponements and everything, yes, that should shape how we continue to follow protocols and go about our business in college football. But the fact that as of now, we have had zero significant issues at, at all as far as the health impact on, on any individual in college football should also shape the narrative and the policy moving forward. Meaning meaning, continue to put one foot in front of the other, be patient, follow protocols, and proceed with the season. It doesn't mean so I guess what I'm trying to say is like everything that has happened this year should put us in a place where we do not get to a sky is falling scenario. So when when you read an article like that, or when you when you hear a take that this sky is falling, immediately discard it, folks. Okay, because those that are following the sport rationally via the data will tell you that everything is being done right now incredibly well. It is an incredibly successful season, all things considered, as of today.
4: We're talking to Joel Clatt, Fox's lead college football analyst. I built on that a little bit. I want to circle back because I talked a lot about this. How do people who are writing these, oh my God, these, you know, what I call fear porn, like the sky is falling stories, you hit on it too, but I I tweeted about this. Monday through Friday, it's like the sky is falling. There's no way we can play. Oh my God, Nick Saban tested positive. Oh my God, they're having to move the Vanderbilt-Missouri game in Florida against uh, LSU and all these things. And then on Saturday, Sunday, it's like they stop the charade there, go to a game, write and talk about it as if nothing is different and my thing is like how can you spend Monday through Friday trying to terrorize everybody and then Saturday and Sunday you go cover a college football game or you go cover an NFL game and tweet and talk and write about it as if it's no different than any other year it's like the uh, the, the the cognitive dissonance there I don't understand how it's not more readily apparent to the people who are doing it but for fans out there I think that they certainly see it they're like if you think it's too dangerous which it isn't but if you think it's too dangerous to play football then isn't it too dangerous for you to travel and go cover a football game like the the lack of consistency the hypocrisy drives me crazy
5: well I mean that's that's exactly exactly right um and and it it negates the weight of their words from Monday through Friday. That's right. Is if they're right there covering the game because, because people are saying, well, listen, if if you weren't just trying to be high or if this is if this is exactly how you feel, then you should not be in a press box.
4: That's right. Period. And you
5: certainly like, shouldn't I be I don't traveling. know what else to tell you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Which, by the way, and here's the other part of this. If that's how you feel, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Right. Like, that's the beauty of of our country is like if that's your position, that's perfectly fine. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to follow your position. And and I find it very interesting that they use their platform uh, to to push that type of fear and then are traveling around the country, sitting in press boxes, covering the sport that they're saying shouldn't. Exist right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't, and um, you know, it's it's obviously frustrating. But I, I, I will tell you this: i I am I'm really thankful for the hard work that all the medical professionals have put in to keeping everybody safe and healthy through college football. We're learning a lot every single day. And that's what Greg Sankey will tell you. That's what Bob Bowlesby will tell you. That's what everyone will tell you is that we continue to learn a ton every single day, uh, whether via the antigen testing or the PCR testing or the protocols within um, all of these teams and and individual programs. one of the things that they're learning is that, you know the, the hardest thing for them to deal with right now. do you know? Uh, th- and this is this is fascinating. The hardest thing for them to deal with it's not even getting kids to not be like quote unquote regular college kids. It's when when families come to town for home games. The hardest thing programs are dealing with. That's where they're. That's <laughs> Clay. Imagine that, right? Like that's. I've had four different head coaches tell me that their biggest fear in regards to COVID is is not that not the the severity of covid on their players but just the the disruption to the obviously the season and, and everything and the uh the, the life of these players individually and where they're getting it is when their parents come to town for home games or their family comes to town for home games it's, it's i wouldn't a wild have
4: thought about it but it makes truth. total sense i mean your parents come to town you go eat dinner with them or whatever you know you meet with them in the hotel the night before after the game i mean you want to see you know mom and dad want to see their kids right, That's right. That's uh brothers right. And, and sisters and, and, and everything like, else
5: uh, all all these coaches are like you know i i was really fearful of traveling and i realized that traveling is the best bubble we have we clean the plane we clean the buses we're around each other we've all been tested and we don't see anybody else on the road it's like it's it's a great bubble for us to be on the road at home is where i get nervous
4: we're talking to joel clatt fox's lead college football analyst all right let's go into the games themselves alabama Uh, just in the second half, shut down Georgia. I mean, yeah. it was it was something to see, and I know there were some controversial calls and everything else. But Alabama's offense, I mean, Joel, I, I I was I wrote about this in in my starting eleven column. If you think about Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and the guys that they have got now, that are you know Waddle and uh, and 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 how talented they are, I think there's an argument to be made that the Alabama last year uh, receiving core is maybe the greatest receiving core that has ever existed in the history of uh, of, of of football college or NFL like there are no yeah. NFL teams with four first rounders Devontae smith obviously is the other one nobody has that right i mean to think about how good they are and as good as as georgia is defensively and eventually they just couldn't cover those guys for the entirety of the game who can cover them, or are we just headed for, you know, what looks like a seventy-three-point Clemson, where you're going to have to score fifty points to win the title, and Alabama and Clemson are just going to be standing there like throwing full-on punches at each other?
5: So um, I've got a lot of different answers, and I hope—I mean, I hope that are all—they're all, they're all good, but they're all very different to this, you know, this topic, because it wasn't—you know, Clay—it's not even really a question as much as a topic, right? Okay, yeah. So, right. Let me start, let me start first with like an overarching, like, I, I believe that in order to win a national championship, you're going to have to get into and win a shootout against another team that has five-star athletes as well. Yep. And, and so that, I think that is the new modern college football. Okay. So here's the next layer of that Saban realized that against Deshaun Watson. Right, like yep. he learned that lesson that he couldn't go out there and 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 just muscle his way defensively and run game and and all this up to a national championship anymore. So he realized, well, okay, we're going to have to go out there and and change our offense a little bit, and they've done that, um, and to a, to an unbelievable degree, as you mentioned, Georgia is three years behind on the learning curve. Right, like they have a team that freed Deshaun Watson could have won a national championship wouldn't you agree
4: yeah yeah I mean okay, look, the so only the just, only thing I would say a little behind. bit different is they did win the shootout game in the Rose Bowl against Baker remember when they had a pretty explosive offense that year they had they, I think they both right. scored 50 or whatever
5: but yes now, they, here's, here's the difference though the, the difference being is that you're going to have to play and win a shootout against a team that also has a good defense. Like I wouldn't categorize yeah. that Oklahoma team as a good defense. That's a good so point. That, yeah. that Georgia offense. Was able to win a shootout against that Oklahoma team. I'm talking about like a really good Clemson team, a really good you know LSU or or, or Alabama, where you're going to have to get into can you score 45 or close to 50 against a top 15-20 defense, yeah. right? Like that, which is really what Bama just Oklahoma did, right?
4: That's what Bama correct. just did that's to ex- Georgia. That's yeah.
5: exactly right. Now on 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 a flip side of this, you talked about the wide receivers, and you're 100 percent accurate about the unbelievable core of wide receivers. Four first-rounders that, that
4: they had last year, and the two of them they still have year this ago. year with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle.
5: And think about this. The only year that they haven't gone to the playoff. Yeah. I would argue, and I have for a long time, and even as a quarterback, this might be a little bit heresy, uh, but w- great wide receivers never win you championships. They're flashy, and they're great. N- name, name a Super Bowl champion whose best player was a wide receiver
4: yeah jerry this is such a fun like bar debate but to me jerry rice probably is the closest and i know you had montana and everything else but montana's like a top two
5: three quarterback of all that's that's why i don't think you can
4: make that argument i think you're right i mean the, the the team to win the super bowl their best player has never been a wide receiver i mean i think that's you know in 50 whatever it is 54 years of super bowls i think there's a strong argument that's true
5: So I would always say that, like, hey, it's amazing to have great wide receivers. I just don't think that they can be your strength. Last year, what ended up hurting Alabama was the fact that their defense just was not quite good enough. They started to get, you know, banged up at quarterback. Like, these more important areas, in particular, like defensive line, I thought that they didn't play as well as they had in the past. This year, I think that they're better in those areas. And while their defense has been – criticized, in particular after that old Miss game, I thought that second half was really impressive, uh, very impressive. So, to me, I, if they are to win a national championship this year, it, they might have to do that because or or they might have to do that via great wide receiver play but but i still don't think that you can just uh you know offense your way to a championship and oklahoma has proven that because right now if you actually look at the metrics and i've and i've studied some of the analytics with what alabama is doing offensively because it's it's so significant and so amazing but Right now, you know, they're about like what 2018 Oklahoma was. Like Oklahoma's played offense at this level before. LSU just played offense at this level before. Uh, And it's going to take a little bit uh, more to win a national championship, at least in my estimation. And that's why it's so important that they've got Najee Harris, who I think is is tremendous. Their offensive line is very good. And it's going to be important that their defense continue to play well uh, as well.
4: We're talking to Joel Klatt. All right, so with all that being said, would you be very surprised if Clemson and if Alabama were not in the playoff based on what you have seen from those two teams so far?
5: I would be shocked. Now, who knows what happens with COVID? I mean, yeah. I was, I'd probably be more shocked if Clemson wasn't there just because the ACC is not even close to Clemson, right? Right? I mean, we saw that in the Miami game. Notre Dame's not going to be close to Clemson. Um, and, and who knows with the, – the thing about it is, like, in a COVID year – you get the wrong guys testing, you know, getting a positive test on the wrong week and Ole Miss just proved that like hey, Ole Miss can offensively play with Alabama for for a little while or, or most of the game. Georgia can be right there. So because of the strength of the league in the SEC, I would say that I'm I'm, I'm not 100% that Georgia's going to go to the playoff, but I'm damn close. I mean, I'm that 98, 90, 99% This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis
6: Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession.
8: But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm
4: often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often.
8: Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I told you, I spent a ton of time on it, that the Bucks, this was a circle the wagons game. And for those of you out there, you're like, what does circle the wagons mean? It's like an old pioneer thing out west when you're about to get raided and you know you're about to have to fight a battle. You pull all the wagons together, you circle them together, and you get set to fight and to battle with everybody. And I thought that the Bucks were so bad in that loss that they had against the Bears that I absolutely loved the Bucs going up against the undefeated Green Bay Packers. And most people disagreed with me on this. After I talked about it, we had so many of you out there just blowing up my mentions. Because ultimately, over 90% of gamblers were on the Packers to get it done against the Bucs. But I said, no, no. Brady wasn't good. Everybody was making fun of him for holding up four fingers for the way that that game ended against the Bears. And I'm here to tell you he's going to be a lot better next. All right. Even against a great competition. And so this was a uh this was a circle of the wagons game, and I gotta give him credit. Dub, you were even though there was a lot of haters out there, when we said the Bucks are gonna win this game, uh, and and I said, Don't even worry about the points. I think Green Bay was like a point favorite. I said just take the Bucks on the money line. You were a big backer of this pick, even though there's a lot of hate out in the social media streets over us back in the Bucs.
9: You can't read all that crap. Biggest agreement of the year, and look what happened. Big-time blowout.
4: Big-time blowout. Can't can't get caught up in the noise. Can't allow that to be a a major determining factor for you. But so much noise out there, and I got to tell you, Aaron Rodgers and the uh, and, and, and really the Packers in general, they looked absolutely atrocious, but the Bucks just took control of them. It was never remotely close. It was a beatdown of epic proportions. I'm not sure how many times we're going to get to watch Brady and the Bucks play against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers again. We haven't gotten to see them, obviously, a ton because of the NFC-AFC overlap over most of that time, but now that they're both... In the NFC this is so much fun to watch and I just thought it was absolutely extraordinary uh, to get to watch that game and the Bucs were phenomenal so to me that was one of the biggest takeaways in general from how good and how impressive the Bucs looked in getting that done all right so that was a huge win other big moments that I thought stood out from everything going on in the NFL I got to tell you, how good did the Steelers look in just dominating the Browns? I mean, there was a lot of talk coming in. Oh, you know what? The Browns are for real. They're going to be able to make a move. They've won four in a row. Baker Mayfield, new Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, all the success out there. And the Steelers just came in and took control of this game early, and it was never really a contest. And now the Steelers are going to be going on the road against my Titans. But remember, Steelers are up twenty-four-nothing. They got a pick six in the first quarter. They're they're just rolling. And this was never ever a game at all. And I think Browns fans are staring in the more in the mirror right now and they're like, oh, maybe we're maybe we should be a little bit nervous here. The other big takeaway, I thought, two more big takeaways in the NFL in particular, I thought that the Titans win over the Texans. Now, I'm a little bit biased because I was there. I was there with my two oldest sons. I was there with my nephew. And the Titans were left for dead in this game. They were up 21-7. They were cruising. They were attempting a field goal midway through the third quarter. Make that field goal. They're up two touchdowns. Suddenly, the wheels come off the defense. And I don't know how many of you got to watch the final drive, but... Touchdown with four seconds left to A.J. Brown, and then kick the extra point. And you saw at overtime, Deshaun Watson came out and he called Tails, and then Heads was the win. And as soon as they said Heads, you saw Deshaun Watson react, and he was like, Well, that's ball game because Derrick Henry and the Titans' offense was almost unstoppable. They posted over 600 yards of offense which has almost never been seen in the NFL. 600 yards of offense in an NFL game is unheard of. In fact, the Titans were the first team in NFL history with a 350-plus yard passer. Ryan Tannehill went for 364 and a 200-plus yard runner in the same game. It's literally never happened before in the history of the NFL that you could find yourself in that situation where there was that much level of dominance, not just for a team to be successful in the passing game, 350 yards passing, big deal, but also to go over 200 rushing. This Titan offense is for real. And so that is pretty crazy. And by the way, there was a lot of talk about as good as Derrick Henry is, that 94-yard run, if you didn't see it, go watch the highlights. Not only is he big, physically tough, and strong, but his ability to just hit next gears on his uh, on his running is just off the charts. I think they said he was nearly 21 miles an hour uh, on that run when he broke into the open field and no one could catch him. Uh, but Ryan Tannehill, there's a lot of question about whether it was the right decision to give big money to Ryan Tannehill, nearly $100 from the Titans, and his 16-game pace right now, he's through five games, so we're still relatively early, but his 16-game pace, he's on pace to throw for over 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, and six INTs. And we talked about this last week, how basically Ryan Tannehill and Patrick Mahomes have almost the exact same statistics over the past 15 games, and we'll see how Tannehill does in this game. But this was uh, this was pretty wild to have uh, that situation, something that has truly never been done before in the history of the NFL. And uh, and it was an amazing game for the Titans. Basically, ended the Houston Texans' season, sitting at one and five. Titans get to five and zero, and we certainly are now set up for what I think you have to say is the biggest game of Week Seven. The Titans going up against the Steelers, two undefeated teams. There are only three undefeated teams left. The Seahawks are the only NFC team that's still undefeated. And then we've got two teams that are undefeated in the AFC. Obviously, there'll only be one undefeated team left in the AFC at the end of that game. The other big story that I think stood out what is going on with the New England Patriots? They were bad. They were really bad. Now, if you're a Denver uh, Bronco fan, congratulations. You got back Drew Locke. He went on the road. He got the win. But this was a game that the New England Patriots never, ever lose during their dynasty. And I think it's fair to say that this dynasty run is officially over. Because New England, this is a crazy stat for you, the last time New England was below 500. I saw this and I was like this is this is an unbelievable stat. The Patriots are below 500 through 5 games for the first time. They're 2 and 3. For the first time since 2001 when Tom Brady led the team to the first of its six Super Bowl titles. New England has now snapped a streak of 18 consecutive seasons above 500 through 5 games, which was the longest streak In NFL history and I'm not sure anybody will ever be this good ever again but it is pretty wild to even think about how dominant for how long the New England Patriots have been and it wasn't just that they played poorly it was that Cam Newton coming off of the COVID list and having been out for a substantial period of time that all of a sudden he is just come back down to earth and as good as the Patriots looked, remember when Cam Newton got stopped in that incredible game we watched against the Seahawks on on the final play of the game where they tried to sneak it in with him? Uh, suddenly, he's able to run, but his passing is not coming along and progressing at the same level. And so he was just just okay. I mean, just okay in general when you think about that situation. And so that game stood out to me in a pretty big way. And then the Eagles almost came back. The other game that stands out to me is the Eagles almost found a way to come back against the Ravens. But the door is now wide open for Monday Night Football for Andy Dalton and the Cowboys if they can beat the Cardinals to just take complete control of the woeful NFC East, given the fact that everybody just continues to lose left and right in that division. Uh and so the Ravens, I think even if you're a Ravens fan, you would acknowledge that so far this year the mojo, even though look, I understand. I understand the Ravens are 5 and 1 and but the mojo just doesn't feel the same with this Ravens team as it has felt in the past. Their offense is is good but not great. And even though they're five and one, I think that beat down that they took from the chiefs is kind of lingering in the back of their minds. And, uh, and so I don't feel like they have the same sort of uh, vibrancy that they had last year, the other game. And I know there are people out there who are like, Oh my God, talk about us more. The bears are five and one got to mention that the bears are five and one. And I'm not convinced that the bears are very good. I've been saying it for a while, they got outgained again. They didn't particularly run the football very well, but they found a way to win, and they are now sitting at 5-1, and one, and they are right now, I believe, Dub, you can confirm this, I believe they are in first place in the NFC North if the season were to end right now because the Packers are 4-1, and one, so uh, the Bears, at the week 6 complete, the Bears are sitting at 5-1, and one, and they're in a pretty strong spot going forward as everybody starts to rotate in their bye weeks and everything else there. So those were the big storylines to me uh, from the week that was in the NFL. Also want to hit you with a couple of decent storylines from college football here as I run through everything that stood out to me in a big way about college football. It's that the, the – and you heard us talking about this with Joel Klatt earlier. Bama is still Bama absolutely dominant performance by alabama in the second half 21 nothing they just pulled away from georgia and i felt like stetson bennett did everything he could to keep that game close but eventually things just kind of went awry uh in that way uh for georgia and if you're a georgia fan it's still going to come down to the cocktail party but I think if you watch that game, you said, wait a minute, how are we going to cover Devontae Smith? And how are we going to cover Jalen Waddell? Alabama just seems to me to have more playmakers. And Mac Jones just feels like a much more substantially talented quarterback than Stetson Bennett. That's not insulting Stetson Bennett, who I think has allowed Georgia to have the success that they have. And in the first half, his receivers didn't help him a lot with making catches. And he got a couple of bad bounces. In terms of uh, in terms of interceptions, but all in all, it is just uh, it's just challenging to me to think about Georgia having much of a chance to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. But if you're a Georgia fan, I think you go back to the drawing board. You say, okay, we lost this game. What did we learn from it? How can we get better? And ultimately, our season is going to be defined by whether or not we can win the cocktail party against Florida. If we win that one, we're probably going to be 9-1, and and we're probably going to be back in the mix to be able to potentially play ourselves into a championship. I feel like Alabama's not going to lose to anybody else on their schedule. I think if you look at the Crimson Tide, the rest of their schedule, it's a whole lot of teams that they are a lot better than. I think Alabama is going to be 10-0, and and I think they are going to be in pretty outstanding shape going forward I feel like Alabama is going to be a playoff team I also feel like Clemson who hung 73 on poor Georgia Tech I don't know what Georgia Tech said about Clemson's mom but it must have been bad uh, because Clemson is going to be in the playoff too and Alabama's final six by the way you can argue I think pretty solidly that already we have seen Alabama play the two toughest teams on their schedule Texas A&M and Georgia and the final six is Tennessee, Mississippi State, at LSU, Kentucky, Auburn, and Arkansas. I'm not saying that you can't lose. Certainly anything can happen in the world of college football, particularly in a COVID year. But I don't feel like Alabama is going to lose to any of those games. And if that's true then they're going to get into the, into the SEC title game, and all they're going to have to do is get there at 10-0, and, and even if they lost to Georgia, they'd be into the playoff. So that is, uh, that is the big takeaway from Alabama. That's a big takeaway from Clemson. The other thing is, on this show, I would say the two biggest college football fans are Dub and myself, and Dub, I think you're with me here, in that we have really, really difficult quarterbacks to watch and in particular point of fact, I mean, I just, I, I don't even know how I can watch Jared Garantano for Tennessee. Congratulations to Kentucky for just taking it to Tennessee. But Dub, your Auburn Tigers with Bo Nix. They lost on the road against South Carolina. Our teams are going to play Tennessee and Auburn. And I feel like both teams should just lie and claim that they have COVID. So we don't have to watch both of these quarterbacks play against each other.
9: That's fine with me. I mean, I may not – well, first of all, South Carolina getting points at home this week against Auburn was maybe the easiest bet I'll win all season. I'll just say that. I'm not afraid to fade my own team. Yeah. Bo Nix, the last play of the game, it's fourth and goal or fourth and six, whatever it is. He runs around in circles, and then he doesn't even throw the ball, and the clock hits zero.
4: Yeah, not a good sign on fourth down when your starting quarterback does not realize that he has to get a touchdown and can't. I mean, worst case scenario, right? You just throw it in the end zone and hope it gets knocked around. Maybe you get a pass interference call. Like the one thing that you cannot do is allow that clock to expire without at least giving your team a chance to win.
9: Absolutely, it's tough to watch, and I know you're in a very similar boat to me. It's uh, it's a sad time for myself and and yourself right now in terms of our. uh, our beloved teams.
4: I just got to say, I mean, if you throw two pick sixes, I mean, you know how hard it is to throw a pick six, right? One of them was a linebacker returning the ball 85 yards. Like, that's almost impossible to do. It wasn't even a defensive back. Uh, double pick sixes in the game, double pick sixes and a half, and a half is is virtually unheard of. And so uh, that, that put Tennessee in a 14-point hole. And I talked to Joel Klatt a little bit earlier about that. I do think with only conference play going on, there are a lot less opportunities for bad play to to get ignored, right? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's just you got to be up in the same way that you do with the NFL. For instance, the Packers got dominated yesterday. I don't think anything anybody thinks that means the Packers are not bad. Sometimes it's just not your Sunday. I feel like there's a lot more tough games being played since it's all conference, and everybody kind of knows you better in conference than they do when you're out of conference. And so I I think those results are all kind of factoring in in that way.
9: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one is going to claim the Green Bay Packers are a bad football team. We saw the Rams struggle mightily against San Francisco as well. So these guys are just college kids, and with this schedule it's way, way more challenging than a normal year. So I, I couldn't agree more.
4: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
1: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All stars for is